And when you lack aim, when you lack direction, you, you are in no man's land. And no man's land is where the buzzards go and feed off of people that are not sure of what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. So you feel like you're just kind of wandering aimlessly. And this, this directionless vision causes us to, to suffer more. This is Reinvent Yourself with Dr. Tara Swart-Beaver. Conversations on neuroplasticity, the science that proves every brain, even your brain, can change, no matter your mindset or stage in life. Each episode, Dr. Tara leads compelling conversations with familiar voices to explore how anyone, even you, can reinvent yourself. And now, here's Dr. Tara. Welcome to Reinvent Yourself with Dr. Tara. Today's conversation is a visit with a real motivator. You'll soon discover that experiencing an hour with him will inspire, invigorate, and challenge you to aim for greatness. So let's get started. My guest today is a New York Times bestselling author, keynote speaker, and industry-leading show host. He is a two-sport All-American athlete, former professional football player, and member of the USA men's national handball team. His show, The School of Greatness, which I've been on, is one of the top podcasts in the world with over 500 million downloads. He was recognized by the White House and President Obama as one of the top 100 entrepreneurs in the country under 30. And his new book, The Greatest Mindset, is available March 7th wherever books are sold. Please welcome the always inspiring Lewis Howes. Good to see you, Tara. You too. How are you? Doing good. You doing well? Good, good. Yeah, yeah. I'm so excited to see you again. Unfortunately, not in person this time, but I know I loved our time together, and our and my audience loved your message, your story, your insights, and uh, everything you were sharing about greatness. So I appreciate your wisdom. Oh, thank you so much. And I'm I had the privilege of reading your new book a couple of months ago, and. You've been so kind to me that, you know, when you asked me if I wanted to, of course I said yes. And then I found out that I had a 24-hour turnaround time to read it. So when I started, there's such an engaging personal story at the beginning that I kind of thought, thank goodness, because I actually really want to know what happens with this. Uh So for people that don't know that part of your story, what led you to being in the position that you were in, basically broke on your sister's couch? Mm -hmm. And how did you get out of it? And what aspects of the greatness mindset did you pick up there or, you know, learn from that? I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, my whole, my whole childhood, I wanted to be a professional athlete. That was the dream. And a lot of it was based on, you know, wanting to make something of myself. And another, another part of it was wanting to prove others wrong and wanting mm. to prove that I could overcome stuff from childhood insecurities, childhood challenges, mm-hmm. traumas, things like that that I talk about publicly. But when I got into my dream of playing professional football in America, I got injured in my rookie season, um, broke my wrist, and really I had a transition period of about a year and a half where I had a, a cast on my wrist and my whole arm was in a cast in this position for – six months. And for the next year after that, I was recovering from kind of the pain of the surgery. Mm-hmm. I had my entire identity tied into being an athlete and also all of my value and my self-worth into those skills and that ability. And I know we talked about this on kind of your story in some similar ways, like leaving something that you're so known for mm-hmm. and, and saying, now what 
what can I do? What am I able mm-hmm. to do? Will anyone accept me? Will I survive? Will I thrive in another environment? So I had to learn uh, through a lot of fear and a lot of insecurity and, and mm-hmm. diving into those fears and insecurities, how to develop self-worth, how to develop value inside of myself mm-hmm. so that I could go out and create in the world and accomplish new sets of goals and new sets of dreams. And that was that was the initial part of the journey was kind of overcoming this injury, mm-hmm. overcoming, you know, essentially my father had gotten a brain injury at the same time mm-hmm. and he was alive, but emotionally not here. So losing that relationship mm-hmm. and just kind of figuring out who am I in the world, what is my value and what can I create? So it's been a, it's been a journey ever since then. Yeah. Well, I was thinking, you know, it's hard enough for me, but I proactively decided to leave what I was doing and knew what I was going to do next. So I can't actually imagine what it must be like to suddenly have that taken away from you and with no idea of what you might want mm. to do next. In the story, you you had some great ideas, but you also had really great people that helped you. Can you talk mm-hmm. to us a little bit about the people that mentored you at that time? Yeah, I, I, I truly don't think that we can become the best version of ourselves without great coaches, great mentors, great guides. Um, and I think there's there's guides throughout our entire life and our existence and, and when we're going on a journey. And so for me, I I essentially lost my father. Again, he was mm-hmm. physically here, but he wasn't able to communicate for the first year after he got back from a coma in three months of the brain surgery or the brain injury. And so he was physically here, but emotionally, mentally, he he wasn't able to support me in that way couldn't work anymore. And he just kind of mm-hmm. had a lot of amnesia, didn't remember a lot. So it was a challenging relationship. But I, mm-hmm. I seeked out older men that had inspiring careers, had built inspiring businesses, who had confidence and poise, who'd overcome stuff, who had great families and great marriages. And I started reaching out to them and seeking wisdom from them. Mm-hmm. And uh, a few key mentors early on really helped me overcome a lot of my fears. And I think in order to, to to step into the greatness inside of you and create something, we've got to be willing to face whatever that fear is. You know, I love the, the the conversation we have where you're talking about action boards. And a lot of people have these, you know, visions and dreams, but we must create an action board, which you talked about and the science behind that. And I think it's true. We We've got to find an idea, a dream, a, a vision that we want to create in our lives and then find people who have either accomplished it or mm-hmm. have accomplished something similar and also get coaching and feedback from them on the journey. As an athlete, that's all I knew growing up is how do I find yeah. great coaches? How do they support me in accomplishing my goals and be very coachable and have and, and listen to the feedback? So I found these mentors early on and they told me things that I didn't want to hear, which was you've got to go all in on your fears. You know, if you want to inspire people at some day, whether it be, um, you know, in a in a corporate office, if you're if you're owning your own company, if you want to be a speaker one day on stage, whatever it is you want to do, if you want to be a coach for sports, you've got to be able to communicate. And at the time, I felt very insecure standing in front of an audience and speaking a two minute message. I just felt not sure of myself, and. So I found one mentor who was a professional speaker. That's all he did. He went around the country and spoke and got paid Mm -hmm. to speak at colleges. And he took me literally to a Starbucks uh, in Columbus, Ohio. And he said, I'll give you an hour of time. And you can ask me anything you want. And I was asking him about how he became so confident as a speaker. 
and what he did to overcome his insecurities. And he said, mm-hmm. something I did is I, I joined Toastmasters and I went every week for a year, which is a public speaking class. And he's like, if you want to influence people in a positive way and get a message across, you've got to overcome this fear. And this is one way of doing it. Mm-hmm. It's not the only way, but it's a great structured way to do it. And so I took action. You know, what you said, take take action on the dream. You got to have the action board. So every week for a year, I went to a public speaking class and it was humiliating. Wow. It was embarrassing. It was it was not fun. It was the most uncomfortable at that time that I had because the judgment or the opinions of others was something I was so afraid of. Mm-hmm. What would people think about me? Would they accept me? Would they like me? Would they love me? Would they want to hang out with me? You know, all these mm-hmm. these fears that we might have. And if I'm unable to communicate effectively, would they just make fun of me? But leaning into that was one of my biggest fears. It, it made me feel powerless knowing that I could not communicate effectively. Mm-hmm. And until I went all in on the fear, it started to disappear, and then it became a powerful asset of mine. Mm-hmm. And so that's been one of the lessons I've learned from mentors early on, which is creating a list of your fears, going all in on them, so you don't feel powerless, you feel extremely powerful of what you've overcome, and also mm-hmm. now the new tool that you can have to make an impact. And never did I think that I would be a speaker or... Uh, a host or, you know, be in front of tens of thousands on stages and and get paid what I get paid now to speak because I didn't yeah. have the skill. I didn't have the confidence. I didn't have the tool. But finding key mentors who had been there, done that, and then going all in on the fear based on the action board, based on the dream that I have mm-hmm. really supported me. So your science has been really helpful in in improving these things are indeed things I was doing intuitively are yeah. actually scientifically, you know, backed based on neuroscience now, which I think is really inspiring. Yeah, and when people read your book, they will get a, a lot more detail about how much action you took. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the parts of the story that's quite funny to me is that your sister was obviously very kind to you, but at some point, didn't <laughs> she just say, Lewis, you can't, yeah. you can't sleep on my couch anymore? A year and a half, I was slaying with my sister for free. I was eating her food. I didn't pay a, a, a cent of rent. Um, <laughs> and. Uh, you know, yeah, I probably wasn't the best roommate, you know, by eating everything, by, not, you know, not cleaning up everything constantly, by just, you know, and not paying rent. But she saw that I was starting to reach out and try things. It wasn't like I was mm-hmm. sitting there nonstop. I was trying yeah. stuff. But yeah. She said, hey, I think, but I also wasn't getting a job. Yeah. Um, and it was in the time of 2007 and eight when this happened, when the economy in the U.S. kind of was crashing, mm. the housing market crashing, and people were getting laid off. It kind of reminded me of now what's happening in the world where yeah. massive companies are laying off you know, tens of thousands of people right now, and the economy is uncertain for this next year. So I, I said to myself, okay, she gave me a gift by kind of kicking me out in a loving <laughs> yeah. way. She's like, you either need yeah. to pay rent or it's time for you to like figure out what you want to do. Otherwise, yeah. How much longer is this going to take? It's been a year and a half. So, so true. I did what any I did what any smart uh, young brother would do, and I and I reached out to my older brother and I said, "Hey, can I stay at your place for free?" <laughs> and um, and he gave me the gift and said, "You know, my wife says you're welcome to stay, but you got to contribute. You got to pay something. You got to pay two hundred fifty dollars a month for your room." And I was like, "That's a lot of money at the time," mm. but I was like, "Okay, I'm going to make it happen." And 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 I think having that push forced me to start having more courage of making money 
more courage mm-hmm. of looking for opportunities. And without that, I would have felt safe and secure enough mm-hmm. to be like, okay, I'm here. I don't have to pay for anything. So I don't have to leap out of my comfort zone and create yeah. responsibility and overcome more fear. So that was a, those are great gifts. And I think we need those moments of people pushing us or we need some type of breakdown to say, okay, I've been in this position and I'm not going to go beyond what I'm comfortable with unless I'm forced to go beyond that. And um, I'm grateful for those opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I hadn't actually worked out that you, that, that time period for you, 2007 to, and eight, was when I actually changed career as well. So I didn't really? realize that it was at, yeah, at the same time. And And again, I was thinking a lot about how similar it feels now to that. I mean, it's different, but it's another sort of crisis, financial crisis yeah. time. And what was that? What was that? Um, what was that like for you? Were you afraid when you changed at that time with the crisis, Tara, or were you were you excited and comfortable about it? So I also have really, really good people around me, and I had a friend that I'd been at school with since we were eleven who had always gone into freelance work, and I'd been an NHS doctor. And it did suddenly hit me that I'm not going to get that paycheck every month and Mm. I have to hustle or I'm not going to get any clients and I'm not going to earn any money. And I said to her, what if just no work comes along? And she said to me, it always does. And I just decided to believe that. Um, And then I was Mm. staying with another friend who I've known since I was 16, staying with her parents because I was so broke as well. And her father said to me, this is not a good time to start up a business because like everyone's in recession and they're going to be cutting costs. And her mother, who's really fierce, feisty, was said, actually, this is the best time to start a business. And I just decided to believe that too. So yeah, um, yeah I was quite lucky the people I had around That's me. Cool. Just want to make a connection with the, the speaking as well, because at that time I just went into executive coaching and it was maybe three or four years later that neuroscience became a buzz topic in business and leadership. And I hadn't done any public speaking since my PhD, which was probably 15 years earlier. And the first conference that I had to do is the the biggest um, pharmacology conference of the year in the country. It was at Brighton Conference Centre and it was an audience of a thousand people and they had to vote at the end if your research would get published. So it was like an absolute baptism by fire. (laughs) And at that stage, I was just memorizing my speech because I didn't have the skill to like just talk naturally about my work like I do now. But I remember fast forward 15 years when I f- was first asked to give a speech. I thought, well, I did that when I was 20. So mm. I, c- I can do this because it's not going to be as hard as that. So it's that kind of, like you said, facing your fear, but then actually realize when you do face your fear, it makes you feel like, well, I can do anything like that now. So exactly, that was good. So how does the greatness mindset differ from other theories out there like the fixed versus growth mindset or the mm-hmm. abundance mindset or the beginner's mindset? And you or I could define those for the audience just in case sure. they're not all aware of what they are. You know, for me, it's um, there's a journey of, I think a lot of people feel powerless. They feel like stressed, overwhelmed, powerless. They feel uncertain, unclear. They feel anxious. And for me, the goal is to feel powerful. And if you want to feel powerful, that's stepping into the greatness mindset. And so a powerless mindset uh, lacks a meaningful mission. And when I define a meaningful mission, it's something that's not about just your goals and your dreams, but it also includes others. Mm -hmm. So there's a a difference between success and greatness for me. Growing up, I wanted to be successful. I wanted to accomplish success. 
Mm-hmm. The challenge, Tara, is when I would reach my goals and accomplish success, I still didn't feel like it was enough. And so I would go for more success and more and more and more. And it still didn't feel like it was enough. And, I was, and when I hit 30, I started to question like, okay, maybe I'm doing something wrong here. Maybe I've been going for success, but it's not the right things I should be doing. Mm-hmm. And that's when I started to go through a kind of a healing journey of allowing myself to ask to ask different questions and say, why have been why have I been wanting success? Well, it's to fill a void of something that I feel like is missing inside of me where I don't accept myself, where I don't feel lovable, I don't feel seen, I don't feel enough. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, I need to start knowing that I am by healing, by creating meaning from the memories of the past that that created the belief that I'm not enough, that I don't accept myself, that others don't accept me unless I perform in a certain way, unless I achieve a certain thing. Mm-hmm. And once I went on that healing journey, I started to realize, okay, I've been doing this all wrong because success is about me. There's nothing wrong with being successful, but if I want fulfillment, that's about greatness. That's including we, that's including others, that's including impacting the people around me mm-hmm. uh, and being able to expand that into a positive impact in whatever I'm doing. So that started to shift from success to greatness. And I think mm-hmm. success deals with a lot more suffering inside. And greatness, you can create a lot more peace. And so that's what I've started to transition over these last 10 years. So a powerless mindset lacks what I call a meaningful mission, which is, again, not just about, I'm clear on what I want. I want to make this much money. I want to accomplish this goal. I want to get this award. Okay, but what? who else are you including in this dream, in this goal that will impact them? Is it your friends and family? Is it a community? Is it a cause? So including that drive with others is included in a meaningful mission. And Tara, I'm not sure if your friends could tell you in one sentence what their meaningful mission is for their career or their life. But for me, it's to impact 100 million lives weekly to help them improve the quality of their life. Mm-hmm. That's it. I'm very clear. Wow. It, it includes me having to overcome things and step into different ways of being in order to uh, accomplish it. It includes service to other people. It's mm-hmm. clear with the number of, of what I'm trying to reach, and I'm trying to do it every week. So every so it's a mission that I've listened to over a period of time mm-hmm. that I feel called to do. I didn't always feel called that way. There's been different seasons of my life, like we talked about, where I was on my sister's couch. That wasn't the mission. I couldn't see that far. All I was like thinking, how can I make enough money to get my own apartment? And mm-hmm. so it, it started in one season and it continues to evolve in my season. But that's the first thing. Most people lack a meaningful mission. And when mm-hmm. you lack aim, when you lack direction, you you are in no man's land. And no man's land is where the buzzards go and feed off of people that are not sure of what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. So you feel like you're just kind of wandering aimlessly. And this this directionless vision causes us to, to suffer more. So that's that's the first thing is powerless mindset lacks a meaningful mission. Uh, a powerless mindset uh, is controlled by fear. We talked mm-hmm. about making a list of your fears and then going all in on those fears until they disappear. When you're consumed and controlled or don't take action based on your action board, content. If we don't take action because of fear, then we're controlled by fear. We're being held by back it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're crippled by self-doubt. 
the there are three main causes of why we doubt ourselves. The fear of failure, which is the big one for people, the fear of mm-hmm. success, and the fear of judgment of other people. Mm-hmm. And when we can identify which one of those fears causes us to doubt ourselves the most, then we can start to do the deeper work that allows us to heal and mend and accept ourselves for where we're at in our life and where we've been. So the key is to overcome the self-doubt by having that reflection phase. It's everything, I give the whole process in the book of how to do that as well. The next one of the powerless mindset is people conceal their past pain. And as you know, based on neuroscience, if we're in shame and guilt Mm -hmm. and insecurity constantly, it's going to affect the way we think and feel because we're hiding something. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying we need to share everything about our past to to anyone, but we need to be able to at least speak it to ourselves, journal about it, speak about mm-hmm. it with someone in confidence mm-hmm. um, that can support us in, again, healing those shames, guilts, insecurities, things we haven't forgiven about ourselves, mm-hmm. all that type of uh, emotions. Uh, the next one is they're defined by the opinions of others. And they don't take action based on what others think about them. And the last one is they drift towards complacency. So that for me is a powerless mindset. It's it's mm-hmm. You're not stepping into greatness when you are defined by those things. And so I'd ask people who are listening or watching to, to ask yourself of those, uh, of that list, is there anything that you are held back by? And if so, mm-hmm. that just means it's an opportunity for growth. The greatness mindset is essentially the opposite. They're driven by a meaningful mission. Again, I'm very clear on what I'm doing every day, what my team is is in alignment to doing with our mission as a team as well and as a business. And it gets me excited every day to wake up. Now, it doesn't mean I don't have challenges and I got to face adversity Mm -hmm. and things like that. But if I didn't have a meaningful mission, then it'd be even harder to overcome wandering and aimless. Um, the next thing is they turn their fears into confidence. So again, I had a lot of fears and insecurities. I had uh, probably more than anyone that I know because I just had a lot of self-doubt, a lot of insecurity, and I was masking it with false confidence. And Mm -hmm. when I started to create my list of my fears, I don't know, 15, 17 years ago when I started this process, and every season brings new fears, uh, I realized, man, this is a long list. I need more and more paper to just write every fear down that I had. But when I I looked at that list and said, okay, it's an opportunity for growth. How can I start going down the list one by one and going all in on these fears? Man, you you build confidence because you said, wow, I actually overcame that. I actually, now it's not a fear, it's a superpower of mine. Mm. So they turn fears into confidence. They overcome self-doubt through this process of healing and mending and creating meaning from the past as Viktor Frankl talks in Man's Search mm-hmm. for Meaning, is mm-hmm. finding meaning from the the tragedies that you don't wish upon your greatest enemy to go through. But if it happens to you in some way, mm-hmm. creating meaning, creating peace, harmony, and saying, okay, I'm going to make my mission a part of creating healing for others from this thing that I went through as well. Um, they heal past pains. Again, when we hold on to hurt, it's really hard to step into greatness. They uh, create a healthy identity. You know, one of the things I love about neuroscience and and really positive neuroscience is instead of ha- being a, a negative self-critic, which I've heard you talk mm-hmm. about as well, it's really being mm-hmm. a positive uh, 
coach to yourself and giving encouraging yeah. feedback to improve as opposed to your that was an idiot move why'd you do that you're a dummy yeah. you're 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 stupid you're never going to be enough uh of course you're doing that again it's like this negative self critic doesn't do anything good for us if we're constantly living in that space we need to be a positive feedback coach okay mm-hmm. that's not what we wanted to do today how can we shift that the next time this comes up you got yeah. this celebrating the individual for how far they've come yourself creating that healthy yeah. identity as opposed to putting yourself down and then takes action with a game plan i think you can have a meaningful mission but if you don't have a greatness game plan then it's going to be hard to accomplish the mission so that's adjusting and adapting to the feedback of life that comes to you so for me that's the greatness mindset is stepping into those key things and if you ask yourself am i doing these things or am i doing the powerless mindset things how can i start shifting them for myself yeah and just so people know before i do a bit of a science connection and recap that was a lot of information but it's very very clearly laid out in the book in chapters with exercises yeah um and it's just a case of of working through them and you know i really want to say at this point so i don't forget to say this that with a book like yours it can be easy for people to read it and not do the exercises and that's not going to yeah. change their life so exactly. you know just a bit of encouragement here to to actually to do the exercises as you read the book so i love i forgot about this from the book but i love the three things about the things that hold us back a fear of failure fears. yeah fear of success you know because we i sort of was like oh yeah that is one and then fear of judgment by others and i was thinking surely that one is what people will say if i fail but also how will my relationships change if i really succeed is that something you've had to deal with i think um i've had to deal with it personally but i didn't i didn't realize it would be a thing until i started succeeding like from mm. it was really after college because mm. you know growing up in school we're all on the same team we're all at the same school but when everyone graduates school i went off to go play to chase a dream of playing professional football mm. and there were guys who were better than me who didn't there were guys on my team who were better athletes more talented all these things but they they lacked the drive the courage the vision whatever it was to actually go and do that next thing mm-hmm. they talked about it but they didn't do it and so i was just like i'm going to do whatever it takes to make it happen and um and then i did it and it was and i remember that was a time where and it wasn't like i was making I was making $250 a week, Tara. It wasn't like I was some huge professional athlete <laughs> that was on TV, like famous, getting Super yeah. Bowl commercials or something. I was I was playing pro football for me, which was a dream, getting paid $250 a week. But I was playing in front of, you know, 15,000 fans in arena football, and it was a great experience for me. Yeah. So it wasn't like I was succeeding at some crazy level, but I left mm-hmm. the tribe. I left the community mm-hmm. of people that I was familiar with for the mm-hmm. previous four years. And and they didn't go do what they wanted to do in terms of like the thing that actually scared them the most. Yeah, Nothing wrong with that. But I think I, I lost for relationships and friendships. I would try to reach out to people and they just didn't want to, you know, stay in relationship. And I think it, for whatever reason, maybe they thought I was trying to be better than them or doing my thing or any any of these things. Yeah. And as that continued in business and, you know, success in terms of business and things like that over the years, I've had to experience that type of stuff where mm. people come back and they ask for things. You know, you have to deal with navigating family issues around money yeah. and 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 
insecurities or jealousies maybe and understanding that. There's an amazing documentary called The Weight of Gold, which I think explains the the pressure of success beautifully. And it's about Olympic gold medalists who within like six months or a year after they win a gold medal, they studied a lot of these cases of people that commit suicides, that go through extreme mental health challenges, that go through addictions. They have this, my whole life I've been dreaming of this thing. I accomplished it. Now what? How do I live up to this? I'll, I'll never have a moment like this again. Um, I'll never win another gold medal and be on the stand. This is the greatest moment. Now what is the rest of my life supposed to do? Or mm-hmm. how do I maintain this level of success and the pressure yeah. and the responsibilities that come with this? So I think people just need to understand that there is a weight to success and gold mm-hmm. if you're not preparing for it and mm-hmm. training for it and emotionally ready for it. A mentor of mine early on, one of these key mentors I had when I was broke, I, he told me, because I was like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm really trying to figure out how to make money. And he said, money comes to you when you're ready for it. And I was like, I feel really ready to make some money. <laughs> I was like, I'm, I'm ready. I'm not, I'm, I don't have much. And I'm living on my sister's couch. I was like, I'm ready to have some money. He goes, it will come to you when you're ready for it. And I didn't understand it in the moment, but it hit me a year later because money started to come about a year later for me. Mm. And it kind of came quickly when it happened. I went from like no money for like a year and a half, two years, working mm-hmm. really hard to figure things out, mm-hmm. overcoming fears and building confidence to like, okay, a bunch of money started to come in. And I remember saying, if this came to me a year ago, I would have blown it. I wouldn't have been ready for it. I would have been afraid of it. I would have been scared, uh, you know, scarce around it. I would have spent it, you know, something I would have messed it up. Hmm. And I really think these things will come to you when you're ready for it. And if you're not ready for it, you're going to have to deal with certain consequences of your lack of preparation for Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, that's just so interesting. It's kind of like, felt like a bit of a niche question, but I really loved your answer. And I think it could be really helpful to people. Sure. Um, There were a couple of other things I wanted to say, but we're just going to go for a quick break. So we'll be right back. You are listening to Reinvent Yourself with Dr. Tara. We'll be right back. Reinvent Yourself with Dr. Tara is proudly supported by emotional well-being by Raffles Hotels and Resorts. True luxury is not just about what you do. It's about how we make you feel. This is Dr. Tara. And if I'm going to stay at a hotel, it needs to be rejuvenating. I travel a lot, and even a single night away from home can be exhausting. I need a place to rest my head that is deeply invested in creating a destination designed for my well-being. That is why my best night's sleep away from home is when I stay at a Raffles Hotel. Raffles takes a holistic approach to well-being, where guests are intuitively guided through thoughtfully curated experiences, spaces, and rituals, bringing a sense of wellness. Raffles is intentional when it comes to design for harmony and nutrition for pleasure carefully curating a ritual program with a series of collaborators. The end result is the breath of fresh oxygen you need when away, whether for business or escape. This focus on emotional well-being is precisely what makes Raffles Hotels and Resorts a perfect partner to my podcast, as their focus and desire is for you to live your very best life. 
For more information on Raffles Hotels and Resorts, including details about their curated well-being programs, simply visit raffles.com today. That's raffles.com. Raffles, true luxury is not just about what you do, it's about how we make you feel. And now, back to the conversation. So a couple of the other things I picked up from what you said in the first section were um, that there's actually quite a lot of neuroscience evidence that having a purpose that transcends yourself is very good for your mental health, your physical health, and your longevity. So I think it's so interesting how you've come to those conclusions intuitively. But I did have a question for you, just slightly playing devil's advocate. Give it to me. Because <laughs> you do talk a lot about, um, you know, service to others. Uh-huh. And, you know, I've been a doctor, I've been a coach, I've done other things like that personally as well. But does everybody have to be in service to others? Is it not okay to do your day job, spend your time with your family and friends Mm -hmm. and, you know, take a bit of care of yourself, but not necessarily do something that's obviously in service to others? Let me, uh, I'll answer this with a story. Um, Okay. When I started dating my girlfriend, Martha, um, early on in the relationship, like before we got committed, but we were like dating for a few months, you know, getting to know each other. She gave me the old, what's your priorities conversation mm-hmm. question. Lewis, what are your priorities in life? And I said, mm, do you want me to share with you the truth? Because I don't think a lot of women would want to hear what I'm about to say. And I don't think you're going to like it. And you may not want to hang out with me after you hear my priorities. And she said, uh, okay, you're kind of scaring me, but yes, I want to hear the truth. I go, are you sure? Because I've told my truth to previous people that I've been in relationships from the past and they didn't Mm. like it. Mm. So are you sure you want to hear the truth? She said, yes. I go, well, it's been good knowing you and (laughs) I wish you the best, but uh, here it is. And you're not going to like it. She said, okay, what are, your, what are your main priorities? And rank them. I said, okay, my number one priority is my health, is taking mm-hmm. care of me, my health, the emotional health, mental health, physical health, giving myself time, space, and energy to fill me up first so that I am healthy, I can work on personal growth, happiness, feeling joy, and living the life that feels good to me, my personal health. That's my number one priority. I said, my number two priority is going to be my mission. And my mission of serving 100 million lives weekly to help Mm -hmm. them improve the quality of their life. That's my current mission. It may evolve, it may change, but that's the mission I'm on. Mm -hmm. And my number one uh, priority is me and my health. Number two is service. Number three will be my relationship. If that's us, my marriage, whatever that will be, that will be my third priority. And I said, no woman wants to hear that they are number three on the priorities list with their potential partner or their their, yeah. their partner, or no conscious woman, I should say. And I said, um, but this is where I'm at. This is my truth. Yeah. And it doesn't mean I'm not going to give a lot to my relationship and give a lot to my friends and family. And you're not, you're going to feel like a priority because I have mm-hmm. energy and I've taken care of myself because mm-hmm. I have a purpose that I'm on every day and I'm joyful and fulfilled with my purpose. And therefore, I'm going to give you more than you've ever, than you could have from me if I made you my number one priority. Mm-hmm. So to answer your question, um, I think 
you've got to focus on yourself first, your health, your well-being. And then you got to be thinking about what are the the people around you that you can impact. And I don't think you need to serve millions of people or thousands of people mm-hmm. or hundreds of people. I think it's about being of service to your authentic health first. And if you're not doing that, you're not contributing to you. And then I think it's how can you be generous with your however your personality type is, with your words, with your actions, with your thoughtfulness, mm-hmm. with your love, with your affection, your attention, your curiosity to mm-hmm. your friends and family. And I think that is being of service, reaching out to a friend once a week, checking yeah. in with your mom, saying, how are you doing? Looking at someone in the eyes. Most people don't have the courage to look someone in the eyes for more than a half a second. Mm-hmm. If you can look someone in the eyes when they're speaking to you and telling you about their day, and you can mm-hmm. truly listen and and show that you care, that is service. Yeah. That is generosity. That yeah. is intimacy and connection. As you know, having a purpose has been scientifically found to support you in living longer and healthier, and so mm-hmm. is having community, having close communal ties intimately, yeah. not surface community, but actual like community where you feel there's meaningful connection supports your health and yeah. supports your longevity of life as well. And I think um, that is a beautiful, great life when you take care of your health so that you have energy and abundant energy to take care of the, the purpose of the mission you're on day to day. It could be your job. And being of service to the people around you. That's what it is for me. It's not about some change in the world or doing something crazy like that. It's about mm-hmm. how can you really impact yourself and the people around you. I love that. Um, and I also want to relate that back to, you You mentioned specifically fear and shame. And on the basic, the spectrum of basic human emotions, we have fear, anger, disgust, shame, and sadness, which correlate to the stress hormone cortisol, mm. which you know, reduces the blood flow around your brain and prevents you from taking healthy risks and, you know, having high levels of self-worth. And the opposite state is, well, the the emotions are love, trust, joy, and excitement. And yeah. they go along with the bonding hormone, which is, you know, feeling part of a connected tribe right. and feeling good about yourself and knowing that you are contributing something to, you know, to society as well. So it's just so interesting how the things that you talk about match up to those, you know, sort of two states that that cannot coexist in the brain. So, and that's why you've said you have to heal your your childhood trauma or your, you know, inner child because if that fear and that shame are still there, then to some extent they're detracting from your ability to be in that other state. Yeah, and what happens? What happens if someone is living in constant shame or fear or guilt about something they've done and they haven't? resolved that feeling what happens mm-hmm. to the brain and the chemistry of the brain if there is a triggered response that causes them to feel shame and guilt around something from the past yeah so we actually did very briefly touch on this when i was on your podcast mm-hmm. and when somebody gets triggered on something that's either shame or fear then it brings out their the deepest thing that they don't want to happen to them and we talked a little bit about fear of abandonment mm-hmm. you know you have been very open that you suffered some childhood trauma mm-hmm. that you've had some bad relationships in the past and so that could have made you go down a very different 
road with you know how you view yourself and relationships and from what you're saying you've obviously done a lot of work on that to get to this you know place that, that you're at now but would you agree that when we speak about romantic love relationships intimacy things like starting a family that that can be the most challenging area for us to navigate as humans even if we're in the great greatest mindset for work and health 100%. and 100 yeah. percent. and i've you know i've experienced many uncomfortable conversations that are just unfamiliar because mm-hmm. it's a process of like going through it as opposed to resisting it it's it's having conscious conversations and breathing through it and be like i'm gonna i'm safe i'm okay everything's gonna be okay yeah yeah. And, and learning how to navigate that. And if we don't, if we've never been taught how to do that and we've always been reactive to it, it's yeah. a, it's been a process of unlearning, of integrating healing lessons and then practicing it in a conscious way consistently. Yeah. And because if we don't do that, we can become either very defensive or quite aggressive when, you know, we feel that, that we're being triggered in that way. Right. And I always think it's about really trying to put yourself into that other person's brain as well and, and asking yourself what would make them behave like that or say that based on fears that they may have, because it's not all about me. Um, and, you know, it's not an, in an intimate relationship. You're not against each other, but it can so easily go down that, you know, feeling of, sure. of you're against each other. Um, sure. Just just um, combining the sort of family and love thing, because I, I found this one fact quite interesting. I remember you said when I was on your podcast, we didn't really celebrate birthdays in my family. And mm-hmm. I remember thinking, oh, I wonder if like he wasn't celebrated as a child. But when I read the book, I found out that there was a really different reason for that. So could you share that with with our audience? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, my dad did a lot of great things growing up. And also I dealt with a lot of like challenges with him as well and from his wounds that he hadn't learned to heal yet. Mm -hmm. Um, But one of the beautiful things he taught me was you know, when I was when I was younger, kids were having like birthday parties, and I and I never had one when it was my birthday. And I was kind of like, asked my dad, you know, why don't I have a birthday? Is do you not mm-hmm. love me? Do you not want to celebrate me? He said, listen, yeah. you know, he would tuck me into bed every night. He would tell me he loved me every day. He would play with mm-hmm. me. He would help me in my sports. He would travel to my games. Like he was always supporting those things and a big cheerleader. Yeah. Um, and he said to me, I never want you to be limited by your age. And at his age. He had seen a lot of people live in fear around being too young or too old, Mm -hmm. and they let their age hold them back from actually going after their dreams and what they wanted. So he said, son, I love you very much. I celebrate you all the time, but I don't want you to focus on your age as a number and thinking, now I'm ready to do this, or now it's too late to try this. He said, I don't want you to be limited by that. I want you to go beyond your age um, and and." And go after the things, even if you feel like you're too young. And try something, even if you feel like it's too late or other people aren't trying it. I want you to have that mindset early on so that later in your life, you don't, you aren't held back by that. So it was, you know, I was like, Dad, you can still give me a cake and some presents, you know. <laughs> but, um, you know, when you're six and seven, you don't fully understand it. But yeah, the older I got, I realized that I had a lot of courage to go after these these dreams that I had. Um never thinking that I was too young or, or too old or anything like that. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I was, I was always kind of the younger guy playing sports in school. Cause I was more athletic, um, younger and, mm-hmm. and everyone was older than me, but it never stopped me from like courageously putting myself out there on the athletic field or the court. Even when I was a freshman playing with seniors, I still had the courage. Cause I was like, Oh, I can, I can make this happen. 
in, in business, I started off in kind of this online marketing world and then, you know, now transitioned into media and speaking and books, but mm-hmm. it was originally kind of in social media and online marketing in 2008. And I was kind of the young guy. I was 24 in this in this world where everyone was in their 30s or 40s. They were professionals. They were creating content. Mm. They were writing books. And I wrote a book before I was 25. And I didn't let my age or my experience hold me back because I was just like, mm-hmm. oh, I have this dream. I want to go do it. So I didn't let mm-hmm. that hold me back. And also, I was playing with the USA handball team uh, a couple of years ago against the Brazilian national team in Brazil um, right the, right before the pandemic as a 37-year-old playing, oh, wow. playing with 22-year-olds, you know, or maybe Whoa. I was 36, yeah. 37, I can't remember at the time. Yeah. but it, And most of uh, the people that I was playing against and playing with was 22 to 26. So I was more than 10 years older than most of my teammates hmm. and against – the Olymp- the Olympic national team of Brazil, who I was playing against. And I wasn't wow. thinking to myself, oh, these guys, you know, yes, I was like, okay, these guys are younger than me, but I have wisdom, I have experience, and I'm still, mm-hmm. you know, just as good and just as effective. So I wasn't letting my age hold me back, whereas a lot of people I'd seen already retire, you know, when they were like yeah. in their early 30s yeah. playing that sport. So um, it's just been... It was a beautiful gift that my father gave me to have the courage. If there's something inside of me that I have a voice that's telling me to do something, don't let my age hold me back from doing it. Yeah, and I'd never heard it put like that. So I really wanted people to hear that because I think it's really important. And how's your mom doing? Is she still um, aging in reverse? My mom is aging reverse, yes. She's (laughs) uh, Biologically, I guess she's 72, but she says she's 68 now. Um, so she's aging in reverse. And I think that mentality, listen, you gotta, you gotta be discerning as well. We were last year, we were at a Thanksgiving uh, trip in North Carolina and we went for a hike, the whole family. And, um, you know, there's some, her grandkids, my nephews and nieces were like climbing these kind of like trees. And there was like this vine of a tree, like a big vine that you can kind of swing, um, that they jumped on and they were kind of hanging on and swinging like five to 10 feet. And, um, and I go on there and I'm swinging and then my mom goes, I'm going to go on there. And she literally runs and grabs this thing. Now I said, okay, mom, I, I do whatever you want to do, but listen, I'm not allowing you to do this because I almost fell and I'm strong and there's rocks underneath us. So Mm. no, I'm, I'm being discerning. You know, you can't just do anything you want at any age. Like I don't want you to hurt yourself as well. So you've got to have discernment on certain things, but the the courage that she had at 71 at that time where she was like, yeah. I'm going to do this and jumped up there and grabbed it. And I had to hold her and say, mom, yes, let's keep hiking and do other activities, but I don't need you breaking your legs right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, I get your aging in reverse, but if I'm about to fall and I was afraid of falling because I couldn't hold on that well, yeah. then I, I know you're not going to be able to. So it's um, it's having the discernment as well. Yeah, but I, I I just love that youthful attitude. I find it really exactly. inspiring, which is why I wanted to ask how she was. Um, and because, you know, a lot of people out there would be really interested in things like aging well or anti-aging. But the reason I liked your father's story was because it was about don't, don't worry about being too young. Mm-hmm. And this isn't necessarily related to aging, but I guess it's related to 
transformation throughout life. But you've had quite a significant physical transformation as well. You've shared pictures of yourself as a teenage boy. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you look the way that you do now. How important do you think that what was going on inside and what was going on outside mirrored each other? I think it all works together. It's like having a holistic view of yourself. I had to learn how to overcome a lot of insecurities and shame and doubt, but I still had a very joyful attitude and fun attitude towards life. So I was still like a fun-loving guy. I was just more when situations would trigger me, I didn't have the tools on how to navigate my emotions. But in general, I had a love for life. And I remember hearing um, Jamie Foxx, someone interviewed Jamie Foxx, the actor and singer, Mm. and said, how do you still look like you're in your 20s? And I think he's, I don't know, late 40s or 50 or something like that. Mm. And he said, it's this thing with actors in the community where we just feel like we're never grow, we're never growing up because every day we're playing. We're playing characters, we're like role-playing, we're having fun, we're allowing ourselves to dive into a new world. And I think this idea of allowing myself to f- play and have fun um, as I get older, now there's, again, there's discerning moments and I've got to be a leader with my team and certain like that, but I, yeah. I have an energy and a playfulness that I bring with my girlfriend and my friends when I go out. I just try to play games as much as I can. And I think that creates a, a, a healthy, youthful outer world as well as inner world. Yeah. I mean, I guess people could have their own version of what it is that they do that helps to keep them young. So I would say that... I mean, I, you, yeah, I mean, I think a, a lot of it is doing the right physical activities to support me. Of course. And, 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 you know, physically moving my body. I play sports. I go to the gym. I run. I lift. Mm. I I take on challenges every year. Last year, I did two marathons. I'd never done a marathon. So it gives me it gives me a physical challenge to overcome. The year before that, I went to Poland and spent five days with Wim Hof learning about breathing, meditation, and diving mm. into the ice for, you know, 10 minutes at mm-hmm. a time and learning how to mm. overcome that physical challenge. The year mm-hmm. before that, I climbed uh, 35 hours of climbing a mountain. Uh, we climbed it 17 times, which was the height of Mount Everest. So wow. we did. I did that the year before that. Every year, I'm trying to take on a physical challenge for myself. And it doesn't have to be more extreme, but just something that is uncomfortable for me. And then I... So I'm doing the physical activities. I'm trying to eat as well as I can, although my mm-hmm. sugar is my vice. I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't do weed, I don't do drugs. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I love sweets. So it's like trying to be as nutritionist as possible with the decisions I make. Yeah. Um, and then really setting up myself emotionally. I have an emotional coach that supports me on navigating the constant healing journey, the the challenges of life, the adversity of life. So they don't beat me down. So I don't hold on to negativity. And Mm -hmm. having that processing period of letting go uh, really supports me in feeling free and peaceful. And that peace gives me more energy and making me feeling more young and all those things. So it all works Mm. together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting that that you said that because I was thinking my thing would be new learning every year. Not necessarily physical, though sometimes it can be. I'm learning that I'm learning every week. That was a given for me because I do this show. So it's like I'm I'm constantly learning, which makes me curious as well. Well, that was actually going to be um one of my next questions, but I think I'll keep it for just after the break. 
Sure. Um, but before we go to the break, how are you going with your learning Spanish? Oh man, I've been on a journey <laughs> with Spanish. I know. I think I'm at a. I think I'm at a crossroads. This last week, I because um, I practice with my girlfriend Martha, and then I was doing an app for every day for a year. And mm-hmm. Then I had a. I had like a tooth surgery that I had to do over the break. And for a week, I missed doing the app. So mm-hmm. I was tracking every day. So I had to restart like the process. I had a, over a year of daily activity. Then I had to restart wow. it back to day one. So it kind of mm-hmm. got me a little discouraged. And I said, you know yeah. what? I think I need to shift it up. I need to try something I've never done to see a new approach. So now I'm going to start. She's going to buy me kids books that I'm going to learn with. She's oh, going to... We're going to start, I'm going to start translating songs, which I've never done before, because I love the music and I love singing, but I don't know what I'm saying yet. So now I'm Mm -hmm. going to start translating words and try to memorize one song and understand how to translate that and then just start doing new songs. So I'm actually kind of glad for the breakdown because it's allowing me to reimagine the learning process for this year. Yeah, great. Okay. Well, we'll just take that quick break and we'll be right back. You're listening to Reinvent Yourself with Dr. Tara. We'll be right back. Reinvent Yourself with Dr. Tara is proud to be supported by MIT, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, and their executive education programs. MIT, join us in building a better world. This is Dr. Tara, and I've been faculty at MIT Sloan since 2014. I absolutely adore the MIT Sloan community and the opportunities we provide for lifelong learning and continual self-improvement. MIT Sloan Executive Education has a myriad of amazing learning opportunities, including my very own six-week online course, Neuroscience for Business, a program designed for leaders. MIT Executive Education is truly a great companion to our podcast, because if you really want to reinvent yourself, MIT will help you start your journey today. For more information on MIT Executive Education, including details about Dr. Tara's six-week course, Neuroscience for Business, simply visit executive.mit.edu today. That's executive.mit.edu. An extraordinary first step toward reinventing yourself. And now, back to the conversation. So just to pick up where we sort of left off, I I was going to ask you genuinely that you must learn so much from your podcast. And what are some of the lessons that have really stuck with you? I know there's so much to choose from. Well, well, you're you're interviewing me on a very special day, Tara, because no joke, today is the 10-year anniversary of the School of Greatness. Oh, Um, wow. My team is here in town. They're in the other office. We're going out to dinner to celebrate tonight. Um, but this is the thank you. This is the day that I launched the first episode ten years ago of the School of Greatness. Wow. So I haven't even fully reflected on it today because I just kind of got in the office and started like connecting and getting ready for this interview. But um, uh, I, there's been you know over almost fourteen hundred epi- uh, episodes over ten Amazing. years, wow. and I've learned so much because. I've made so many mistakes over the last 10 years in my career, in my business, in my personal life, you know, in relationships, all these things I've, uh, and I learned through what we talked about in the beginning, actions, by -hmm. taking actions and getting feedback and information on what's working and what's not working, what's Mm -hmm. effective and what's not effective, what's useful and what's useless. And the biggest thing that I learned, I think, in the last 10 years is how to truly accept 
and love myself, not from a selfish point of view, but from a point of mm-hmm. view of peaceful awareness mm-hmm. so that I can have more fulfillment in life. And I think a lot of people, they study your work, they they hire you to speak, they bring you in to coach these top executives and leaders and and athletes because they want more peace and they want more joy and fulfillment at the end of the day. And they want to feel worthy of what they're doing. They want to feel like they can accept themselves no matter what's happening around them. And I think that's one of the biggest lessons we all get to learn is how to fully mm-hmm. love and accept ourselves for everything we've done we're proud of and not proud of um, yeah. to the point we're at now. And learning the art of healing and really emotional regulation because yeah. 10 years ago was when I started the journey of healing and started stepping into a lot of these things. And it's been a journey over the last 10 years. It's not like one day I was fine and everything was different. It was season after season, practicing, integrating, mm-hmm. relearning, mm-hmm. you know, continually showing up with humility to to understand these things. And I think emotional regulation is a big thing I've learned. The process of healing is another big thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the The idea that we are never finished and to always be curious, you know, 10 years in, I feel more excited about asking questions and learning from people like yourself and other people mm-hmm. constantly. I don't feel like I've figured it out. I don't feel like I have all the answers. I don't feel like I'm a finished product. And I think having that, those lessons, learning from people has been a powerful thing. And the interesting thing at the end of not every interview, but a lots of interviews, um, you notice something when you do interviews a lot. You notice Mm. human dynamics and human psychology. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, some of the biggest celebrities, stars, world champion athletes, billionaires, you know, number one New York Times bestselling authors, at the end of an interview, they'll ask me, was that okay? Did I do okay? Was was that good enough? Was that good enough? Was that, you know, uh, uh, maybe I shouldn't have said this thing. You know, there's almost like a second guessing. And it's interesting that even the people at the top of the highest levels still Mm. second-guess themselves sometimes and still want to know if they were good enough. Yeah. And for me, um, that's been a powerful reminder that people have insecurities, doubts, and fears at all levels, and uh, we're all on a journey. So have compassion for people and, um, and keep moving forward. I think that's such an interesting insight that I didn't expect. Uh, I think it's going to help a lot of people. I really love that you talked about, you know, self-love and peace. I remember at the end of the episode that I did with you, you said, you know, if all of your life's work was gone, what are the three things you'd want people to, you know? And one of the things I said was live your whole life motivated by love. And that, of course, includes self-love as well as love for your nearest and dearest and then, you know, society. So like you said, in service of others. In the first eight episodes of my podcast, there were two topic themes that really came out from every interview. And this was, you know, everything from rock stars to rugby players to fashionistas. And um, so I did two bonus episodes in January to dig into the science of those. And one was motivation and one was love. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just, it's really interesting that that's kind of come up. Both of those topics have come up with you as well. Cause I, I couldn't have planned or predicted that or made that happen. It's just, we looked back and thought, okay, what are the recurring themes that we can sure. dig into the science of? 
So I had a, a something that came up for me as you were speaking about so many of the different things that you've done is I remember that you told me when you were doing decathlon training that you did a lot of visualization as well as yes. actual practice. So we talked about action today as, as being really important, but in these other evolutions in your life, have you used visualization techniques as well? So many, yeah, so many areas of my life have done that from every, I mean, I kind of do that before every podcast interview I do. I visualize do the thing that I want to create from it and I set an intention. So there's an intention mm -hmm. and there's a visualization of seeing the best experience that I could create and creating. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like imagining millions of TVs or earbuds on people mm -hmm. and them feeling something and them being like, wow, that was, I really needed this thing in my life right now and them taking an action in their life. So it's almost like seeing the people listening and watching and, and thinking about what is it they really need to hear or mm -hmm. watch right now that will support them in this moment. Not what's going to help me, but what's going to help them. Yeah. And imagining people from all over the world being impacted and overcoming and improving and growth and having uncomfortable conversations. So that's part of it. And um, yeah, before every kind of book launch, I, I visualize mm -hmm. what it's going to do for a book before podcasts, before initiatives, things like that. I'm visualizing the results I want to have. Now, I also have learned how to let go of the expectations uh, because mm -hmm. I used to hold on to those expectations, and when they didn't happen, I'd get really upset. So I've had to learn about letting go of the end result and knowing mm -hmm. that just doing my best every day is going to support the results in happening however they fall. Love that. And the exercises in the book, which I, I can attest to the fact that they're very much based on science, are they ones that you created or things that you picked up along your journey? And are they all exercises that you have, you know, practiced yourself? You know, a lot of them I was like just coming up with stuff from high school to college to then getting into business and just doing stuff that I learned from sports. And then I would start to realize, oh, other people are talking about the science behind this and they'd call it something mm -hmm. else. And I was like, okay, let me make sure that everything has some element that could be supported based on science that proves these things. So mm. creating a fear list. And I remember talking mm -hmm. about creating a fear list for years. And then when I had, um, um, oh gosh, she's going to slip my name right now, but she wrote a book called The Gift. She was a, a Holocaust Dr. survivor. Edith, Dr. Yes. Edith Egger. Yeah. Edith Egger. And um, when I had her on, she's like, you got to create a list of your fears. And I go, yes. And I go, that's something I've been talking about and having my book, you know? So it's like, and here's why. And when you face these things, yeah. it gives you peace. And I go, yes. And there's neuroscience behind this. So I think mm -hmm. a lot of people are sharing different types of exercises that might fit into this. But this is just kind of my own unique personal experiences on how I did these things and, and creating it in a package for people to understand it. Yeah, and it's a really beautiful, practical package. Um, so last question before I ask you to share how people can follow your work is that after I read the book, I wrote a testimonial that included the fact that I believe this book will help you to heal your inner child, reinvent yourself and revitalize your relationships. So in terms of that kind of, you know, triad of things, what's next for Lewis Howes? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> what's next is what's now. And being very present in the meaningful mission on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And I'm always visualizing and dreaming about what I want to create for the future to bring the mission closer to me now. 
So it's okay. to serve 100 million lives weekly to help them improve the quality of their life. We're not there yet. 10 years in, I'm still not there. And that's okay. But we acknowledge how far we've come. We acknowledge where we're at now. And we celebrate it as opposed to beat myself up about it. And I'm also thinking, who do I get to become? What skills do I get to develop? What is mm-hmm. there a fear that I haven't overcome yet? Uh, I'm living, like, this is the book that I wish I had 10 years ago. This is the book mm-hmm. I wish I had when I was 16, when I was, yeah. you know, going through breakups or trying to get clear on my vision. This is the book I wish yeah. I had. And then this is the book I'm grateful I have for myself now yeah. and in every stage moving forward because it's all about how do I bring it closer, bring mm-hmm. it faster without also rushing and knowing that everything has a timing and a season. And, um, you know, I love the action board analogy that you have. And I think the law of attraction has the word action in the word attracting. So if we want to attract something, we must be thinking, how can I act in a way that is consistent to building that and attracting it? And also in new ways, how can I act in a different way that will support me? So for 10 years, I've shown up every week and taken action Mm -hmm. in developing this show. And that has gotten me certain results. And I've been consistent in certain ways. And I've been developing new skills to attract other things. Mm -hmm. And so the goal is just to keep refining who I am and being super joyful, loving, giving, generous on a daily basis while constantly growing. That That is the thing. It's just having as much joy and fun as I can. While also managing and, and overcoming stresses that come and go and, and navigating yeah. it in a, in a better way every time. Well, you really are all those things. You also give the best bear hugs. Um, <laughs> yes. So I really, really appreciate you coming on the show, especially on such a um, special day. And Thank you, Tara. where can people follow the show, find out more about the book and everything else that you're yeah. doing? The School of Greatness is the show. If they want to subscribe there, anywhere on Apple or Spotify or anywhere. And The Greatness Mindset, they can pick it up, Amazon, or my website at uh, greatness.com. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thanks, Tara. I think people are really going to enjoy this. Thank you. That's all for this episode of Reinvent Yourself with Dr. Tara. Remember, no matter your mindset or stage of life, any brain, even your brain, can change. Even you can reinvent yourself. I'm Dr. Tara, and I'll see you next time. have a question or comment for Dr. Tara, email or send an audio recording of your question to drtara at knox.studio. Dr. Tara's latest book, The Source, is available wherever books are sold. This has been Reinvent Yourself with Dr. Tara, a Knox Studios podcast. All rights 2023 Knox Studios. Produced by Mark Steele, Nadir Tavangar, Shahada Kari, and Jason Bashore. Written by Dr. Tara Swart-Bieber, Mark Steele, and Lewis Howes. Engineered and sound designed by Knox Studios. Original music composed and produced by Sundry Souls.